Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, morning, everyone. Uh, Gracie, if you can hear me, just wave or just shout or something, if you, just to make sure that my microphone's working all right. Um, so uh, I've been looking forward to being with you this morning. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing um, us together, hearing God's word and some stuff that probably um, I really hope and my prayer is will make a difference to how we enter into the week ahead of us. Okay, so the title of my message is Beware of the Pitch Invader. Okay, that's the title of our message today. Beware of the Pitch Invader. Uh, hopefully it will become clear over the next few minutes. Now, uh, hopefully, uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, chapter 6. So uh, many of you know that we've been spending some time in the book of Acts um, over recent months. And uh, we get to the beginning of chapter 6. Uh, before I go any further, I just want to um, honour, I want to say thank you, Anne, um, for leading us in prayer. I also want to honour Dan and say thank you to Dan on, on behalf of all of us. Uh, thanks, Dan, for your ongoing steadfast uh, care and love for everyone uh, in North Bushy and uh, all the, the countless hours that are spent serving, but also prayer walking and loving this community, uh, even recording videos for Highwood School, really excited to hear about um, the possibility and the prospect of doing assemblies using video. And that's been really, really um, encouraging. And um, before we get into God's word as well, I just also wanted to really encourage you from um, the family of churches we're part of, Assemblies of God. Probably don't think about that very often that we're part of AOG, but we are. And uh, just over a week ago, there was a prayer meeting that had 700 leaders in it. Now, I've been to some prayer meetings before that um, uh, even over Zoom that have been a bit stilted and not everyone's really kind of, there isn't a sense of really um, excitement about being together. But I can tell you for three hours, we had 700 ministers and leaders from all over the country, from the Shetland Islands all the way down uh, to Cornwall, uh, from east to west, from Wales and Norfolk, uh, the, across the whole of the British Isles, actually, uh, leaders praying and believing that even in these strange times of the pandemic, that God is still at work amongst all of his churches and wanting to change our nation. And so I just want to encourage you with that. It was one of the most exciting gatherings I've been involved in, in person or online, in a long time. Imagine that, 700 leaders gathering in a massive Zoom uh, meeting. It was incredible. And we broke down into small groups. Well, there were about 25 in the groups, uh, but we broke down into small groups to pray together. And it was really encouraging. So I just wanted to pass on um, that uh, before. In fact, before we come to God's word, um, perhaps I could say a simple prayer together. Let's. And if you're catching up afterwards, uh, or if you're listening to this message standalone, just want to uh, invite you in this moment. Let's just say a simple prayer. And let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, not just to our minds, but to our hearts as well. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your presence in the rooms where we are right now. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to like a torch on the page to shed light on your word today. And we pray, God, that you would show us things that maybe we've forgotten or even that you'd show us new things that we could keep our focus in these days. And we can step into the fullness of all that you have for us. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus name. 
and we all say hopefully amen hopefully where you are you said i couldn't hear you but i saw some lips move so i'm hoping you said uh, amen to that prayer so beware of the pitch invader in fact in ephesians chapter 6 the apostle paul who appears a lot in the book of acts doesn't he the apostle paul uh, says in ephesians chapter 6 11 that we need to be aware of the devil's strategies or the devil's schemes and john stott who wrote a commentary on the book of acts said it's really interesting in chapters three and four and five of acts we see that the devil tries to stop the gospel spreading the devil tries to interrupt the, the process of the people full of the holy spirit sharing the good news about jesus and the first thing he tries to do is suppression by force so the first strategy is that he tries through all the authorities to literally to crush the disciples and to tell them stop speaking about this person Jesus stop stop using the name Jesus and so the first strategy of the devil was suppression and we thank God that Peter and, and John in fact all the apostles said we're not going to stop preaching the name of Jesus we're confident in his name we know who he is and so you can't stop us interestingly the second strategy was actually corruption you remember when uh, Magdi was talking about Ananias and Sapphira they compromised didn't they and actually uh, he the the enemy tried to get the church to compromise and to bring corruption into the body of Christ and John Stott points out that actually that was dealt with in a really dramatic way but clearly the church was being attacked from different angles so the first strategy was suppression the second strategy was corruption well i want to talk about the third strategy which is disruption and distraction and in order for us to do this we're going to open god's word now and i want even if you're familiar with this story and it's just really interesting that luke saw that it was important to include this story as he told about the spreading of the gospel and as a spoiler alert at the end of this little few verses that we're going to read in Acts chapter 6, there's some really amazing news about what happened. So uh, Steph's joined us, and uh, Steph, could you read to us uh, from Acts chapter 6, from 1 uh, through to the end of verse 7? So let's hear God's word together. About that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint arose. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve called a meeting of all the disciples and said, it isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. As for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the word. This proposal pleased the entire community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith, Philip, Procurius, Nicon, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests embraced the faith. Thank you, Steph. That's an amazing story because at the end, 
the gospel continues to spread and not only just to everyone but to the jewish priests now these were not the kind of people that were really that open to the gospel in order for a jewish priest to become a christian a follower of jesus someone needed to explain to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Someone needed to explain to them that Jesus was really the king of kings and the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Jewish priests normally were not coming to put their trust in Jesus. But at the end of the story, someone was able to explain to them and they were giving their life to Jesus. That's an that's phenomenal fruit at the end of this. So what happened between verse one and verse seven, it's really important. And like I said, beware of the pit invader. This is what this is what, what this story tells us. You see, first we realize there's disruption in the church. Luke says there are squabbles or there is uh, an argument. How many of you know the arguments in the church? There's nothing new about them. In fact, as long as there have been people gathering together, there have been arguments. And the language that Luke uses is very similar to what's described when the people were in Israel, it were in the desert, you know, and they grumbled against Moses. Oh, we wish we were back where we were before. We wish we were back in Egypt. Kind of the grumblings. There are grumblings in the church. And actually, the grumblings are racial, or at least they're to do with culture. And this is really reassuring for us today. You know, when there's, lot, when there's tension between different people, a different skin color, when there are issues between races and cultures today, it's really amazing that Luke tells us that there is a culture war in the church. And it's very, very subtle. And it shows the unconscious bias of those that are giving out food. They probably don't even realize they're doing it. But you've got two groups of people in the church. You've got those who speak Greek and kind of who are culturally a bit more open, if you like. They're like the modern Jews because they've learned the customs of the Greek culture and they speak Greek. And then you've got the pure Hebrews or the, the pure Jews, if you like, because they still speak the language that Jesus spoke of, Aramaic. And so you've got two factions in the church. And already there's this unconscious bias because when the people who are um, from the pure group of the Jews, when they are feeding and in the food bank. So uh, Rebecca and Dan, we've talked about food banks. This is the first and original food bank, okay? This is in the food bank in the first century. Someone comes along that's like them who are serving it and they may be giving one or two more tins of baked beans. They may be giving the fresher loaf of bread. They're just kind of favoring them. And the people who already feel like they're second class believers, you know, they don't feel like they're the pure ones. They're saying, hang on a minute, the food bank has been run badly. In fact, we have been biased, there's a bias against us in the first century food bank of Acts chapter six. And so this is what the enemy's strategy is. He causes disruption amongst the people of God. We need to be really aware that the enemy, our enemy, the devil, he wants to cause disruption in the church and in your life and in my life all the time. But it doesn't just want to cause disruption. Actually, what happens is that there is potential here for a distraction because the 12 apostles who were kind of the leaders of the church at that time, 
they, they, they could easily get in and try and solve this issue. And Luke says that they, they have a meeting and they get together, the believers. They say, hang on a minute. This needs a time and attention. This needs the right people to help solve this food bank squabble. Someone needs to deal with this. And I love the fact that it's important that it is dealt with. They don't brush it under the carpet. They say this actually needs careful management. We need to make some changes here so that everyone in the church feels equally valuable. The widows, if you like, or those that are receiving the help from the food bank, they say, look, it's really these people matter. We want to do this well. So you read in verse 12, in verse 2, sorry, the 12 are called a meeting of all the believers. They come together. And what they've realized is there's potential here for those who are most able to do the teaching of the gospel, the, the 12, the apostles, could get sucked in to uh, managing a food program. And in fact, they say, you know, it's better for us to not wait on tables or to take their time divvying out and carefully running the food bank of the day. So the, the enemy's strategy is to bring disruption amongst the people, but also distraction. And this is, a, this is why I want to say, be, beware of the pitch invaders in your life and in the church. Because what, what happens here is that as they work this out, they realize that we need respected men um, full of the Holy Spirit. And it's really important. This is important to Luke. He says this a couple of times that the people that were selected to do this work, this really important work, need to be full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this work was not less than the work of the apostles. And that's really important. We understand that. The, the work of leaders in the church, even today, 2000 years later, is not more important than the work of anyone else in the church. And I say that as a leader myself. It's just a different set apart work. And so the people that end up being, and well done, Steph, for trying to get their names pronounced right, because I know it's not easy. But when they get together, look, it's not good for our leaders to be distracted. This is, this is true for us as a church family. It's not good for our leaders to be distracted because everyone is impacted. Everyone is not helped when people end up out of the role that they're meant to be doing. Beware of pitch invaders because they bring distraction. And when that happens, we miss out on what God really has for us. So there's a lot of wisdom in this. They get together. It's not good for our leaders to be distracted, but we need people full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to do what needs to be done to run the food bank. And so everyone, it says, they like this idea. And then they chose these people, Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Carmenes, and Nicholas. And interestingly, Luke mentions them, and he says that, in, and if you look into it, they were able to bridge the divide between the Greek-speaking and the Aramaic-speaking believers. They were able to be the bridge. They were able to manage it. They weren't all from one side, but they had understanding of both sides of the argument. They're able to manage it. So they're full of the Holy Spirit. They're brilliantly qualified. And so God uses them to solve the issue. And then it's really simple. And then this is what Luke loves to summarize. And he says, so God's message continued to spread. And the number of believers greatly increased. And many of the Jewish priests were converted. Why? Because the leaders 
the ones who were most anointed and gifted at speaking the word had spent time in prayer. They spent time in preaching and preparing the word of God. Therefore, when it was the time for the Jewish priests to hear about the good news of Jesus, the message was clear. Luke says it was re- that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't have dealt with this distraction. You see, the devil tries to bring disruption of people and distraction of leaders and also to have some people feel disengaged from the ministry of the people. Think about Stephen and Philip and Procurus and the others. They're sat there thinking, well, what point is there being of us in the church? You know, we're full of the Holy Spirit. Well, what can we do? I love this. There's people in the church now that are thinking, what can we do? It seems like the leaders do all the important stuff. They, they were disengaged, perhaps. We need to be really careful that we don't allow that to happen in our church family, is that we've got people full of the Holy Spirit and able who are disengaged because they think they're not needed. The good news of this passage is, is that everyone is needed in the church. And there will come a time when the Lord says, OK, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And the focus comes. So each of us has a role. So the, the message that I said today is beware the pitch invader. Let me explain what I mean. I remember this moment really clearly. It was on the 2nd of May 2015. I was at Watford, uh, at Vicarage Road Stadium in Watford, uh, watching Watford Football Club. Uh, of whom I've become a very passionate season ticket holder. And we had already qualified to be in the Premier League. I say we as if I was one of those that played, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so we, uh, we were already in the Premier League. It was the final game of the season. All we had to do to win the championship, not just to get promoted, but to win the championship was to win this game against Sheffield Wednesday. We scored the first goal in the first half. And it would, the place was went crazy. And I had it on good authority because I knew people quite high up in the club at that time. And they said that the police and the stewards were going to allow us to go onto the pitch to celebrate after the final whistle. Um, they'd already made preparations for that. And so uh, we're at the 85th minute. Watford don't play too well in the second half, but we're still 1-0 up. We're about to go and have a party and we're going to celebrate, OK? So our son David and I, we said, look, we're going to go down. And in the last few minutes, we're going to make our way as close to the front as possible. So we can be some of the first that will go celebrate on the pitch. So we get down there and uh, gets to the 85th minute. I think, you know, I think we've won this game. This is going to be good. And there was, I have to be careful the language that I use in this context, obviously. But there was um, uh, a rather silly a uh, 16-year-old lad, maybe, 15 or 16, big, chunky guy. He was right at the front of all those ready to go on the pitch. Now, the game was still going on, all right? Sheffield Wednesday, they get a free kick. And this is in the 91st minute of the game. We're still about to win the championship. 91st minute of the game. This lad decides, before the final whistle, before the free kick is taken, he ran onto the pitch. And we're all shouting, like, no, what are you doing? And he ran up to Herudio Gomez, our goalkeeper, while they were preparing the free kick. Herudio Gomez said to, uh, the, and, and the stewards come on, and instead of preparing for the free kick, 
our goalkeeper, whose job it is to stop them scoring a goal, instead is shepherding this Wally off the pitch. And we're all shouting, get off, get off, what are you doing? 91st minute, they take the free kick. And from that free kick, they score. And the score is 1-1. And Gomez isn't well positioned. The ball goes over him. And everyone goes, oh. And people are shouting. And this happened right in front of us. And I was thinking, oh, if only I could have stopped. And he was literally four or five people in front of me. If I knew what he was going to do, I would have run down and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. Said, you wait just a minute, my friend. <laughs> but instead, he went on. He distracted our player from doing what he was on the pitch to do. And they equalised. And yeah, we did in the end up celebrating on the field, but we come second in the championship. And they let off a few fireworks, but it wasn't the same. The atmosphere was weird. Do you know, all because of one man, no, he wasn't even a man, one boy who went onto the pitch and caused a distraction. So this is, this is my point. In your life and in my life, the devil would love for us to get distracted from what he's asked us to do. He would love to be like a pitch invader, to get on to distract us. And poor Julio Gomez, what was he meant to do? But he wasn't ready for the free kick when it came. In the same way, what happened here in the book of Acts is the devil tries to invade the pitch, if you like, and to get the leaders to be distracted, to get the people to be disrupted, and to stop the advancement of the gospel. There is a lot at stake in these few verses that we've read today and I want to bring this into land we're just encouraging you to think about your own life and to think about your own church family is there any way in which we've lost our focus is there any sense in which we we've lost sight of what it is that we're actually meant to be doing we're we're playing out of position we're distracted by things that are really not ours to be distracted by that we've taken on things that are not don't really fit who we are and how he's gifted us. And what about if in the church we become just so committed, we just kind of become distracted with the wrong things. And instead of we miss out on what God actually has for us and where he actually wants us to be playing. And we see that, don't we, uh, in sport of all different types, the, the, the shape, the formation of the team, the the positioning of the players, all that is really, really important for the effectiveness of the whole thing. It's the same in the church. It's the same in your team at work. If you end up with somebody who's not really that good or gifted, but they end up in a position where they're kind of being forced to, but it just doesn't fit, the whole team doesn't really function. Have any of us ever had managers that are really not good at managing? And we've had managers that manage a team and the people who are better at managing are not able to influence what happens. And it can be very disruptive, very frustrating. And in the end, the productivity isn't in the air. In the end, the team doesn't function. And definitely one thing that is not good is that when leaders are not able to lead because they're distracted with just managing. And I speak from personal experience many times. I, I get pulled into things that are not really what God has for me. They're just things that need to be done. And if you just keep doing all the stuff that needs to be done, you can miss out on the thing that God really has.
for what he really wants you to do with the gifts and the talents. So I want to encourage you, God has uniquely placed and situated you for a purpose. Let me read to you from uh, Romans chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul from verse 3 to 8. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Paul does not make any distinction between one gift and the other. He just said, whatever it is, do it well. What, however God has shaped you, just do that well. Be that well. Be who God has made you to be. And then when everyone is free to do that, the whole body functions well. So this is this is my thought. Um, is there any sense in which we've, we've lost sight of our big yes and we therefore find it hard to say no to things? You see, when you have a big yes, then it's easy no's. Well, when we know really what our purpose and our place is on the team or in the church, then actually we can easily say, no, actually, that's not that's not my thing. That's not that's actually not what God has for me. There must be someone else for that because God's given me this gift or that place. So let's be aware of the pitch invader who tries to distract our attention and tries to pull us away time and time and time again. Beware of the devil of disruption and distraction because he would love to pull you away from how God's really purposed you. And he'd also love to disrupt what he really wants to do through his church by leaders and people who are distracted and pulled away from their purpose. This is my final question, then we'll pray. This is maybe as a church, as a part of Wellspring Church, at work, personally, apply this as you will. But is there any sense in which today you're distracted? I don't mean just by the kids or uh, by the stuff, but I mean, is there any sense in which you actually feel you're distracted and being pulled away? from God's purpose for you? Is there any sense in which you've lost your focus? And if you have, there's no condemnation. It's just a really good thing to admit. Yeah, and that's okay. That's a good place. We'll come to prayer in a moment. And if you've lost your focus, we can pray the Holy Spirit would lead and guide you so you can find it again. Are you disheartened by not knowing quite how you fit into your team at work or in other contexts than in a moment, we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And maybe when we are able to keep our focus ourselves, we can help other people find theirs. And that's my final thought. Maybe we need to open our eyes even wider to see the other people that God has placed around us and see what their strengths are and bring encouragement to them. And I know some of you uh, are managers 
and your leaders in in your context at work in other ways and uh, and I would encourage you to keep your eyes open even this week to the gifting God has placed in other people in your team and maybe there's a bit of reorganization or a new approach to helping them find their place and I know for me personally uh, as I face in a few weeks time taking on an additional assignment with the uh, one YMCA, which I'm really looking forward to. I know for me, I've had to ask myself a question a lot recently. Lord, what is it you've actually gifted me and want me to do? And in the end, that's where the joy is of just saying yes to what he wants, not just giving in to the expectations of other people. And I know that some people watch this and even listen to these uh, talks um, afterwards. Um, I had a message even this week from someone who uh, listened to something that was said in the North Bushy context just by audio um, a couple of months after it was actually given. So if you're listening now, or if you're watching now, or if you're in the room as we pray, then let's come to God with open hearts and say, God, help me to decline distraction. Help me to keep and find my focus again and help others find their place as well. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've created each and every one of us so uniquely, so differently, that you have called and anointed and gifted us in very specific ways for a specific purpose. And at this time, God, we want to pray that you would help us defeat the devil of disruption and distraction. Lord, if in any way we've lost our focus, I simply pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to stand firm in the roles that you have for us, to, to take a stand, Lord, to not be easily moved or distracted by things around us. And God, I want to pray that you'd help us in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, to celebrate the gifts of others and to give them space to grow into who you've made them. So Lord, help us to realise who you've made us, to keep our focus. Yeah, Lord, free us and help us to resist those pitch invaders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.